Listen in Fridays to the new feature Times Like This on Aura City Radio in partnership with Luxembourg Times. So yeah, like last week, we didn't actually talk too much uh, about coronavirus and uh, and all of the things that are going on with it. Let's rectify that today. Uh, so Luxembourg is to extend its large-scale testing program. Yeah. So um, as we remember, like in the first wave, Luxembourg um, in May decided to uh, implement the large-scale testing regime um, in order to, you know, find the virus in society and everything. And they, they want to do this again now, but with the additional features of doing um, an- antibody tests and also checking whether people that have been vaccinated um, or possibly reinfected. Um, so Parliament will have to vote on this and they are likely to, to agree to, to implement that, to have another around 50,000 tests per week um, until perhaps the end of July in order to make sure that, you know, the, the presence of the virus within society is, um, you know, accounted for. And what's the rate of testing at the moment? Because it feels like it's a less than it was. Yeah, it's a bit less than it was. And I think it's been going down um, quite a bit um, ever since also I think cases have been going down. And of course, there's a, perhaps a correlation there. But um, I think we're closer to like 35,000 tests a week or so. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, and schools are set to close uh, a week early. Yeah. Um, so... Yesterday there came this impromptu announcement by Education Minister Claude Maes um, that um, primary schools and uh, certain daycare centres and will, will have to close for another week in order to stop the spread of the virus. And the news came after a cluster was identified in a school in Chiflanche where um, quite a few uh, people and um, both teachers and pupils were, were infected uh, with the coronavirus. So, And that, that's a bit of a... Um, a t- a U-turn by Maj after he kept saying um, that uh, you know schools aren't the main main uh, center of infection. Most people get infected at home, so he, he's here admitting that uh, schools can actually increase the the presence of the virus in society as well. I think the thing that most people want to know about is is vaccines and when they're coming, and it's uh, it it always seems to be getting pushed further and further back. I, I know that they uh, released a sort of a at least some sort of plan, but where are we with that? Um, the plan to to go back to school, you mean? No, with the vaccines. With sorry. the sorry, with vaccines. Um, yeah. So they uh, uh, this week, uh, Health Minister Paulette Lina she presented a, um, a plan to um, vaccinate, essentially, um, all the people that need to be vaccinated in six categories. Um, and now we're targeting people that are older than seventy five years old and that are vulner- in vulnerable categories, um, um, certain diseases. Um, um, and uh, the later stages will um, include other vulnerable categories and other age groups as well. But we're still quite far from actually getting there because um, the way things are looking now is that the, the pace is still quite quite slow and we haven't like fully vaccinated the first category yet and a lot of people have only received their first doses. So I, I would say that these categories uh, as of now are quite speculative. Uh, there was an article in Politico that uh, said that if Luxembourg continues its current rate of vaccinations, they will. Uh, it will take another three years or so for the country to be fully vaccinated to reach that 70% of inoculation that is needed to um, yeah, prevent the virus from spreading. Uh, and is that just um, a capacity thing, like uh, in terms of the, the numbers of vaccine doses available, or is it just like a, 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 are they just slow in getting it done? I think it's a bit of both, really. Um, the European Union, as such, because of its joint procurement, has um, compared to other places, such as the UK or the US, um, not as many doses available currently. 
and that um, is a factor in the slow vaccination pace. But even so, in European comparison, Luxembourg is one of the slowest countries in Europe compared to um, places like Germany, Italy or Spain. We're lagging behind. We're lagging behind France now as well. So I think that... Um, there are perhaps logistical issues here in the country or people um, that get invited to the vaccination center in Limpensburg are not turning up. Um, Health Minister Lennart said that currently the, um, the rate of people actually accepting those in invitations is below 50%. So, I mean, if, if, if I got an invitation, I would go right away to sure. get the vaccine. Because, so I don't, I don't quite understand the logic of people in doing that. Maybe there's some skepticism in, in Luxembourg society um, that is not, um, yeah... That is, that is making people reluctant to, to actually get get the jab. And that reluctancy kind of spread into actually into healthcare workers as well, is what we saw last week, that about 50% mm. of, uh, of healthcare workers were only taking up. Has there been an explanation for that? Has there been an increase in that rollout? I think there has been an increase in rollout in, in hospitals. Overall, um, people in hospitals are getting vaccinated more than, um, than in, in the vaccination centre itself, I believe. So, um, But it's still weird to actually think uh, that people that work in the sector and that perhaps see the impacts of the coronavirus crisis in a much more uh, physical way than we do mm -hmm. uh, in our everyday life, uh, that they, they would be reluctant. And I, I, I personally can't quite understand it myself. Maybe they don't quite trust the, uh, the fast process um, through which the, the vaccines were developed or the, the relatively fast authorizations that are coming from European and national authorities. Um, but I don't think there has been an explanation per se. And I don't think it's limited to Luxembourg either. I think we saw this skepticism in other European countries as well amongst healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. uh, what's this that I say about a risk of a virus rebound? Yeah, so um, currently there are concerns in Luxembourg and, and elsewhere that new virus, uh, mutations of the virus, such as what politicians here refer to as the British virus, which I don't think is a very good way of, of putting it. I don't think we should um, attach mm -hmm. nationality to uh, mutations, except in uh, strictly epidemiological sense, um, that these certain variants of the virus might be more transmissible than others, or even more deadly, which... Uh, seems to be the case for this um, virus mutation that originated in, in, in Canada, in, in England. Um, and so um, even given its higher transmissibility, there is a risk that uh, if we continue with our current restrictions, the virus will start spreading again at, a more, um, at an increased rate. So, um, and if we don't at the same time accelerate the vaccination process, we might be in a tricky position where we have to introduce further restrictions. And is, I guess part of that is that some of the vi vaccines may not be as effective against new variants, is that it? Yeah, that, that, is, that is a concern. I think so far most vaccine producers have said that they believe that their vaccines will um, work against those new variants, those new mutations, um, even if they might turn out to be slightly less effective. And um, But studies are ongoing and I think a few pharmaceutical companies have already said that they're working on, including AstraZeneca, they've said mm -hmm. they're working on new uh, vaccines that would um, also uh, protect against those new mutations. But uh, yeah, there's the increased risk that if um, you know populations aren't inoculated fast enough around the whole globe, really, um, then new mutations can, can quickly arise. And if, even if we get it under control in the US and in Europe and in other wealthy countries, if it keeps spreading in places like Brazil and new mutations um, developed there that are you know resistant to the vaccines then we might end up with uh, a new epidemic here again so yeah there's really um, 
much to be said about trying to, to vaccinate the whole globe, which is not going too well at the moment. Uh, well, let's park COVID for a bit because uh, yeah. we'll obviously be coming back to that again for the foreseeable. Um, uh, another story that we've been touching on in times like these over the last couple of weeks is, or months really, is uh, an increase in transparency uh, mm. in terms of um, tax mm. and avoidance and things mm. like that, uh, which generally has been hailed as a good thing, but actually Bettel has said uh, that transparency may hurt the country's business appeal. It's an interesting comment. That is a really interesting comment, and uh, um, I think it caused quite a few reactions on on social media. Um, So uh, Bettel gave an interview to our uh, colleagues from the French Vought, and uh, and, um, one of the first questions he was asked was about the uh, recent... uh, uh, landmark court ruling about the, um, the the secret agreement between the government and um, Luxembourg's quasi national public broadcaster RTL, um, where some people think that the government or RTL have breached the contract and that's why they want to keep it secret. Um, so the, the court ruled in favor of Pirate Party MP Sven Clement, who um, who uh, wanted to get access. To, to the document in order to control the, or the executive as, as a parliamentarian, which makes sense if you if you believe in, in liberal democracy and how it should be working, um, especially because it's in, it's in the public interest. Um, and so first the court ruled against him seeing the document, saying that the court doesn't want to get involved in in those battles between the executive and the legislative, and then um, Clermont appealed and the court ruled in favour of him. And... Um, so now parliamentarians will be able to see the document. But there's been uh, similar issues with you know, the uh, memorandum of understanding the government had struck with Google um, for a data centre in Beeson, where also the government tried to keep that uh, secret from parliamentarians. And um, then Laurent Moza at the end got, um, got access through it and other parliamentarians too. Um, in a, they, so they were able to read it in a secret room. And Bettel argues and... Uh, this is something that, that other politicians and other ministers have argued before as well, including uh, former economist Etienne Schneider, um, that transparency um, you know, c- can erode the trust between the government and, and private companies. And um, as a result, fewer might decide to actually come to Luxembourg because they can't strike those deals with, with the government. But I think that um, it is really weird to hear that from a, a, you know, a prime minister who succeeded Jean-Claude Juncker and who um, during his first term, the whole LuxLeaks scandal broke and, you know, really caused damage to Luxembourg's global reputation. To hear him say that now and to have this kind of approach uh, to treat Parliament as just like an unnecessary burden even or mm-hmm. something that is that is bothering him rather than uh, an, an an important part of, of the country's democracy. Uh, well, let's talk about LuxLeaks then, because mm. that's back in the news. Uh, mm. Edward Perrin, who was uh, one of the individuals at the, uh, at the centre of, of the LuxLeaks thing, mm. uh, appeared at a court in Metz on Tuesday, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So he appeared at a court of appeals in Metz because he, uh, or his lawyers argued that um, uh, an, a warrant to search um, a, 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 one of the whistleblowers uh, of, of PWC's house was was illegal because it was he, he he as a journalist of course has to protect his sources but uh, and um, and sources should be able to stay anonymous in in, in press laws ac- across the globe or in at least in in those countries where you have proper freedom of press and um, so um, and the decision is I think ex- expected next month so it's quite interesting to see that this ongoing and it's going well beyond beyond Luxembourg's borders uh, that in, indeed. You know, just revealing these um, 
tax deals uh, that Luxembourg had struck with loads of multinational companies um, um, is still something that was is considered illegal. And there was a there was a similar case, uh, court case in Luxembourg, where uh, in, another one of the sources, uh, Antoine Deltour, uh, also um, had to appear in front of court, and um, he also argued that he what he was doing was um, you know essentially amounting to whistleblowing, and it should be legal and should be part of a functioning democracy mm-hmm. as well. And in the end, you know, Luxembourg. Luxembourg court said that he, he was right in doing so and uh, and also created like a legal framework for whistleblowing so yeah and uh, I get the verdict of that one is coming at the end of March or something. yeah that's correct yeah okay, cool uh, well, well more on that I'm sure as, as we go forward um, let's go to this one what's this headline doors closed to schools led by business people what's that about yeah, so there's been an ongoing controversy um, with uh, education Mr. Claude Maish and his ties to the uh, private sector and um, his idea to, in, in some of the more specialised technical schools, such as um, you know the agricultural stu- school in the north of the country, to have people from the private sector come in and uh, take on functions that would usually usually be reserved for people uh, within the public sector, such as you know s- secondary school teachers. And um, people were, uh, especially the um, the union of the um, of the civil service, was arguing that this would open the floodgates for an increased privatisation of schools, which they are really really allergic to. And um, they, you know, they and a lot of other other schools kept piling pressure on Maish to to stop doing that. And the end, he gave in and he reached yeah yeah a compromise with them. Or well, not necessarily a compromise. He essentially he essentially caved into their demands to not have people from the private sector. Um, you know, take on responsible functions such as like leading, leading and managing the schools. Um, and people who were in favour, including Maish, uh, of privatisation, you know, they were saying that um, this would be good because it would expose, you know, the, the people in these, uh, the pupils in the specialised schools to, you know, the, the real world outside. Um, but but in the end, you know, the, he he had to retract because we have very strong unions and especially the um, the fonction publique, the civil service, uh, knows how to to to, to, to fight its corner out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, mm. Not all bad news. Um, mm. The eurozone seems to be rebounding a little bit. Yeah. So um, recent data um, on inflation um, is, is indicating that prices for a, a variety of goods including food, drinks and industrial goods are rising again, including in Luxembourg. Um, and in, in, in 13 out of 17 Eurozone countries, they're rising quite strongly, which um, a lot of people see um, or economists see as indicating that um, the, the economy is, is bouncing back a bit and that people are, are again willing to spend more as well. Um, so and this uh, news comes at the back of the other news the the other week or two weeks ago that um, you know banks are deferring fewer loans, uh, which is also a sign of uh, general mm-hmm. you know economic health. So we'll see how it goes. But I don't think we have seen the full ramifications of the, the current measures yet. And um, but if if you look outside, you can see that generally activity is is, is picking up as well. Uh, there's one story that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, apparently, half of last year's new Luxembourger citizens qualified through their ancestors. Yeah. So where so, are they coming from? Um, I think they're mostly coming from the US and Brazil, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the exact number, but it's something in the thousands. Um, so Luxembourg had a law um, through which people could reclaim their citizenship um, if they could prove ancestry. Um, uh, Luxembourgish ancestry, essentially, going back all the way to to 1900. Oh, really? Well, wow, as far back as that? 
So it's not just like a one or two generation thing. It's no, that's more. That's uh, much longer ago. So people that emigrated to the to the Midwest in the U.S., for instance, in in 1905, um, they they would be eligible. And so these are a lot of people that don't even have ties to Luxembourg anymore necessarily, sure. but they they might be able to to get a citizenship. And um, so um, this law elapsed in two to eighteen. And uh, but you know the the process of acquiring citizenship takes a bit longer. So of course people are still getting citizenship through that scheme. And um, the, the, it's quite quite an interesting move by the Luxembourg to, to have had that law um, because I think it's a means of also just attracting uh, more more immigration, more foreigners, and more more, more skilled immigration to some degree as well. And um, it's not many countries, I think, in the world. I can't think of any other country that has a similar law in place at the moment. Actually, I'm sure there's a few, but. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting one, especially within the European Union. I think yeah. to have that. Yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, the, actually, Dowie mentioned he gave a heads up to this story. Uh, SES in the news, mm. and the headline says the other three billion people lacking internet. What what are they doing? Yeah, so um, as yes, the the state-backed Luxembourgish satellite company um, is uh, you know trying to find new markets. Their revenues haven't been. Uh, have been stagnating and increasing as much over recent years, and there's a lot of competition from, um, you know, more modern or slick uh, companies such as SpaceX, Elon Musk's SpaceX, for instance. So, as um, is trying to get into like new markets by providing satellites to remote areas of the world, and there's a lot of untapped potential revenue there. Uh, in places such as you know Kazakhstan, where people live quite remotely from each other and don't have access to like fiber broadband, so um, Asias would through its satellite comms provide um, internet to these these worlds, and this might help farmers in you know Kazakhstan or coffee growers in uh, in Colombia and in other parts of the world as well. So you can see you have a, a state-backed Luxembourgish company that is. Uh, that has a proper global region is trying new innovative ways of you know expanding into new markets. Cool. Are, are you working anything on anything at the moment that will uh, you know just give us a, a heads up of what's coming? Uh, currently, I'm working on a um, more more of an analytical piece on the the role of the uh, judiciary in Luxembourg's political system. So, um, because Luxembourg is still working on a constitutional reform and um, has been working on it for the past 20 years or so. And there have been ongoing um, stumble blocks in recent years, especially because uh, the CSV is blocking some, was blocking some of the reforms. And uh, yeah, I want to just give our readers a bit of an insight into how Luxembourg is trying to, to become more modern and have a, a more um, a neatly defined um, political constitutional system. So, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, if you want to read more on that and, of course, any of the other stories that we discussed this morning, check out luxtimes.lu. Yannick, uh, back again next week, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you.